0: Uh, I believe it's found on page 833 in in the Red Pew Bibles. Page 833. Colossians 1, verse 24 through to 2, verse 5. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and those at Laodicea, and for all who have not not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is.
1: I thought I'd better sort that out first uh, and um But anyway, we're all ready now. I'm right. Are you right? Already? All right, let's let's go. Let's uh, start by praying first. And uh, let's ask God to fill us with his wisdom. Father, we uh, want to thank you for your word. And we pray for your word as it's taught here and next door to the kids. Uh, We pray, Father God, that you would uh, grant us all spiritual insight and understanding so that uh, we would be people who walk... Uh, worthily of you, bearing fruit in every good deed. Uh, We pray that we would have uh, open minds and open hearts, and that you would change us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you noticed the uh, unusual statement that Paul makes in the passage that was read to us by Tim. And I'm thinking of the statement where Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to the afflictions of Christ. Did you notice that when it was read? How did you feel when you heard that read? Was it, uh, I'm I'm guessing that for most of us, we we hear the Bible being read in the church service and a lot of it, some of it sort of, you know, floats over our heads a little bit and we think, well, that's interesting, but I'll just wait to see what's said about that. And uh, we don't always pick up on uh, what are really quite extraordinary statements. And when you think about it, that is an extraordinary statement. Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Now, it's not the kind of thing, when you think about it, it's not the kind of thing that we would necessarily expect the apostle to say. Uh, Why do I say that? Well, I say that because of what it implies. What do you think it implies when Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions? Well, My guess is that uh, it's saying that the afflictions of Christ... Uh, is actually quite enough not enough that there's still something which is lacking which is missing Uh, it implies that the death of christ on the cross was not enough was not enough in order to give us the full experience of relationship with god and so uh, it's no surprise in fact we ought to be a little bit taken back by what paul says Because the the Bible is quite clear, isn't it, that the death of Christ is enough, that the death of Christ on the cross is the full, the complete, the sufficient sacrifice for sins. There's, There's no more suffering that is still required. In fact, Paul has been quite clear on this in Colossians. Can I get you to open up your Bibles at Colossians chapter 1, which you'll find on page 833? Um... In the passage that we looked at last Sunday, on Easter Sunday, uh, this is what Paul said in verse 19. He said, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Who's the hymn, by the way? The hymn is? Jesus, of course. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Uh, So is there anything lacking? No. I mean, there could be nothing more complete than the sacrifice of God in the flesh for sin uh, to, to bring us back into relationship with God, to reconcile us, as Paul says. And so for people like us, Paul's statement, where he says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions, uh, it ought to sound a bit strange. Have I got enough volume here? It's a bit lower, you do? And it might help if I turned it off. <laughs> How about that? Is that a bit better? No, it's not a bit better. It's interesting. Hey, that's better. Okay, so let's get back on track here. Um I don't think it should come... Well, it should come as a great surprise to us that Paul would say that there is something still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. The problem is that for some people, I don't reckon that would be such a big surprise because the reality is that throughout the history of the Christian church that there have always been people who have said that the work of Christ on the cross, that his suffering is not enough, that there is actually something more that is necessary. And so what they would say is that it is good to put your trust in Christ, and his death and his resurrection, but if you want to be in full communion with God, then there is something else that you need. You need the gospel plus something else. Um, now, a couple of weeks ago, we, we because this is the theme that runs through Colossians, it's going to keep on emerging through these sermons. And a couple of weeks ago, we saw that when we looked at uh, chapter 2, that the, the, the thing which was going on in Colossae was that they were saying, you've got to put your trust in Christ, plus... You have to obey certain rules and regulations, particularly about food and so on. Uh, They're also saying that you've got to put your trust in Christ, but also you need to have certain mystical experiences, that there's a mystery out there that you still need to enter into. And so there were people who were teaching that the gospel is good, but it's not enough. If you want to be in full relationship with God, then you need something extra. And we're going to look in more detail at that next week when Peter preaches to us from the uh, second part of chapter 2. But basically what they were saying was this, that the extra that you need is firstly, you need Christ plus this special mysterious experience of God. Secondly, you need Christ plus religious regulations, which, by the way, kind of take the fun out of life. You know, it's rules and regulations which involved treating your body harshly uh, and and suffering. And it may be, in fact, it probably was the case, that what they were saying is that you need to obey these rules and regulations and treat your body harshly uh, in order that you might gain the mystical experience. You can see how, you know, if you deprive yourself of sleep and food and water and so on, that you might actually end up having a mystical experience. What it boils down to is that the suffering of Christ on the cross is not enough. And so in chapter 1, verse 24, when Paul says that he fills up in his flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions, do you think he's actually agreeing with these other teachers? No. Uh, Do you think there's a possibility that there is a touch of sarcasm in what Paul's saying? I think there is. Uh, Paul is being sarcastic. And because in this passage he actually talks about the mystery and he talks about... The suffering. Let's have a look firstly at what Paul says about the mystery. He speaks about the mystery in verses 25 to 27. Let me read that for you. He says, Of the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me present to you, to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, the false teachers were saying that you need Christ, plus you need this mystical experience, Uh, And it's the same today, isn't it? There are any number of church leaders around the place who will promise uh, a a deeper and a fuller uh, relationship with God. Uh, They'll promise an experience which is based on visions and certain types of worship, be it the uh, traditional style of worship where the church service is designed to make you feel that when you enter into it that God is somehow present there. There because of the way that they use music and light and so on, or the contemporary type of church service, where they do exactly the same thing, but just using a different form of music and a different form of light and so on, Uh, where they promise you that experience of God through this this type of worship uh, or other mystical techniques. And so Paul here agrees. He said, yeah, there is actually a mystery. There is a mystery which has been kept hidden for ages and for generations. But guess what? This mystery has already been revealed. Uh, You see, what is the great mystery that has puzzled people for ages and for generations? Uh, Is it not the mystery of how uh, a sinful person can be forgiven of their sins? Is it not the mystery of how people like us can can have a relationship with the creator of the universe and find ultimate satisfaction in isn't that the question that's been on the minds of people and and uh, cultures for ages and for generations um even throughout the old testament um the prophets uh, some of the great prophets were guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and so on and uh, the prophets in their prophecies they kept on Uh, pointing to the future. They kept on speaking of a time in the future when God would deal with sin, when God would bring about his kingdom in its perfection, when God would uh, reconcile mankind to himself. Uh, This is what the prophets kept on speaking about throughout the Old Testament. And when they... When they spoke about those things, though, uh, they did not fully understand what it was that they were talking about. I don't know if you've realised that or not. But they were saying things which were still a mystery, uh, even to them. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, the, uh, Peter says that the prophets of long ago, that they spoke about things... Which uh, were a mystery to everyone, including themselves. Uh, Peter says that even angels longed to look into these things. Now, think about it. Um, let's pick. Um, let's pick one prophet. Uh, let's let's pick Isaiah. Uh, give me one uh, one passage or one chapter where uh, Isaiah gives a very famous prophecy. Can anyone think of a chapter offhand? Uh, ben, you got one? All right. So Ben's picked Isaiah 53. All right? So uh, what are some of the things that Isaiah says in chapter 53? He speaks about this servant who would be coming in the future... And uh, he says things such as uh, um, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that we deserve was laid on him. That's the sort of thing that he talks about. Is that the sort of thing you're thinking of, uh, Ben? All right. Lamb to the slaughter. All of Now, when Isaiah was prophesying that, what do you reckon Isaiah would have made of it himself? I reckon he would have had a blurry picture of what he was saying. He would have understood partly. He would have understood that there was going to be this this man, this event that uh, would actually mean that the iniquities of us would be. But it was a very blurry picture that Isaiah would have had. But it's not a blurry picture to us, is it? Not at all. It's not a big, a blurry picture to those of us who live on this side of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because in the gospel of Jesus, the mystery has been made clear, hasn't it? In the death and the resurrection of Jesus, all of the, 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 the stuff that the prophets looked forward to, that they pointed to, the stuff that even the angels long to look into, the the, the mystery of how would God reconcile his righteousness, his holiness, and his justice with his love, well, it's been made clear that Christ, that God in the flesh came and it was he who died on the cross and bore the the guilt of our sin. As Isaiah said that the he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. So what Paul is saying here is that uh, yeah there is a mystery but the mystery has now been revealed. It has been made clear. Uh, the, 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 the false teachers were saying that um, you've got Christ, that's great but there is also this further mystery that you need to find out about and Paul says no you're wrong verse 27 of chapter 1 he says this uh, he says that to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is what is is this mystery it is Christ in you the hope of glory You, you get the point Uh, Go to chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. Chapter 2, verses 2 to 3, Paul says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. The mystery has been... Notice that Paul doesn't say there that he wants people to have sort of like some of the riches of some of the understanding. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, in order that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. And uh, so what's very clear here is that Paul is saying that there is no sense in which you put your faith in Christ first, but then there is some other mystical knowledge or mystical experience that you need to enter into, but rather that in Christ you've got the full deal. (laughs) The mystery has been revealed. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. One of the things that flows from this is that when people... uh, and you might have come across it in your own experience where people are saying, well, hey, there's this new thing that's happening or there's this new experience or this new new working of the Holy Spirit, etc., that they rob you of assurance. They rob you of assurance of salvation because you never quite know if you've got the full thing or not, whether you go along for that other experience, but then there's another experience after that. And what I've noticed in dealing with people and ministering to friends who've been caught up in this sort of thing is that they go from one thing to another thing to another thing and they're never quite satisfied. But Paul's saying, there is a mystery. It's been revealed. It is Christ. He's really driving home that message. And uh, the, the point is... That a complete, a full, a total, an absolute relationship with God is what you find in the gospel. That the Son of God should die for you, that is sufficient. And the problem is also that when people say that you need Christ plus anything else, um, some people say you need Christ plus you need to be baptised. Have you ever come across that? Or they say, you need Christ, plus you need to be baptised with a certain amount of water (laughs) in a certain way. Uh, Or there are people who say, you need Christ, but plus you need to be confirmed. Or they say, you need Christ, but plus you need to go to church on a certain day of the week and not on any other days. Or you need Christ, and you need to also have certain dietary restrictions or you need Christ and you need to be uh, speaking in tongues or what they consider to be speaking in tongues or you need Christ and you need Christ plus, Christ plus anything folks actually gives you nothing <laughs> because what ends up happening is when, you, when you're trying to put your faith in Christ plus some other thing, something that you do or something that is done to you that eventually what happens is you end up putting your faith in the, thi- in the thing In the plus. Because what you're saying is that Christ is not enough. And if you're saying that Christ is not enough, then actually you're not putting your faith in Christ. And Christ plus anything equals nothing because when we're not putting our faith totally in Christ, then he doesn't pay for our sins. And we're not saved. This is a heaven versus hell kind of issue and that is why Paul is so concerned about it and about what is threatening the church in Colossae. Um, Now let's move on then because I want to talk about the issue of why Paul therefore says that he fills up in his flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction, the original question and again it's tongue-in-cheek. Because uh, the Colossians, the, the, the false teachers who were on the horizon in Colossae, and by the way, uh, the evidence is that they they had made some inroads into the Colossian church. They'd maybe influenced a few people, but they had not had a great deal of success as yet. That's the evidence from the, uh, from the, the book. What they were saying is that the... Thing that people had to do was to abstain from certain things, and you say that you see that in chapter two, verse twenty-one, because Paul says, you know, why listen to these people who are saying, do not touch, do not taste, uh, do not what else does he say? Do not handle. Uh, that's what he's saying. Uh, and that's what they're saying. Do not taste certain things, don't eat certain foods, do not touch certain things, don't handle certain things. And what they're saying is that that those things, which are things that God has given, are actually things that are going to deprive you of a full experience of God. And so don't get involved with those things. Deny yourself of certain good things that God has provided. Uh, as if you, you have to cause yourself to somehow suffer uh, in order to make up for what's lacking in regards to the suffering of Christ. That's what they're saying. Now, what does Paul say about this? Well, he said, yeah, they're right. <laughs> there is still a bit more suffering that needs to take place. But guess what? says, I'm the one who's doing the suffering. It's not the kind of suffering that you need in order to get right with God. It's the kind of suffering that you need to do in order to help other people to hear about the mystery, which is Christ, so that they can get right with God. Um, Paul uh, lists his own sufferings in, there's a great chapter, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You don't have to look it up. But uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he lists some of the things that had happened to him. And he says, On three occasions, I received 40 lashes from the whip. That's suffering, isn't it? Think about that. He says, On one occasion, they tried to stone me to death. Think about that. He says, on three occasions I was shipwrecked. In fact, I spent a whole day and a whole night floating in the open sea. Think about that. He says, uh, I've been in danger constantly from my own countrymen, the Jews. I've been in danger from the Gentiles. I've been in danger from people who have been trying to kill me. I've been in danger from false teachers in the church. And to add to all of that, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. So, Paul's got—you know—these people are saying you need to suffer a bit in order to get right with God. So, you know, go without eating fish or or red meat or something rather, and you know, lie on a bed of nails and suffer in some way. Paul's saying that—that's got that—that's nothing in comparison to the suffering that I've gone through. Uh, he says, "I have suffered but the key thing here is his suffering that he's experienced for the, because of his, the pressure of his concern for the well-being of the churches. And you see it in verse 28 of chapter one where he says we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labour, struggling with all of his energy. And the word struggling there in the original Greek is the word agony. It's the word agony. I agonise. I agonise with all of his energy which so powerfully works in me I want you to know how much I am struggling, that I'm agonising for you and for those at Laodicea, that's the church up the road, and for all who have not met me personally or have not seen my face in the flesh, is what he writes. The struggle that Paul goes through, the agony that he's experiencing is the struggle for the sake of the churches. Uh, The struggle to pray for the churches. And we read about Epaphras a couple of weeks ago who uh, was a guy who took the gospel to Colossae who wrestled in prayer for them. And Paul has struggled and wrestled uh, with them in prayer, for them in prayer. Uh, He struggles because he knows that he's in a spiritual warfare fight here against uh, the evil one this is the battle for the souls of people he struggles because of his concern for the churches and uh, he struggles uh, in so much that he's having to write letters like this which are hard letters to write very difficult to to warn people and to encourage people to uh, be careful about what they're getting into Much easier to say, hey, it's all good. (laughs) Just roll with it. Paul is under pressure. And he's writing this letter from prison, uh, probably under house arrest in Rome, although some argue that he was in prison in Ephesus. Uh, All that points out to us, really, is that he was in, in and out of prison all the time for the sake of the gospel. And the reason he suffers like this is because what we see in verse 28 is that he wants to present everyone perfect in Christ. Now, what that means is it's the, um, the Greek word is the word uh, telos, and it's the word which we use for telescope, where you look at something close up, but you can see something far away, the end point And what it's saying is that Paul is looking at the end point here. And the end point is that he wants every person who he shares the gospel with, every person to be able to stand at the judgment seat of God and to be acquitted of their sins because Christ has already paid the penalty for them. He wants people to finish their Christian lives firm and established and not moved from the hope that's held out for them in the gospel. That's what he wants. That's his goal. He wants everyone to be perfect in Christ. He wants them to finish the Christian race grounded in Jesus. And in verse 4, he doesn't want anybody to be deceived by people who come along with fine-sounding arguments. Now, this is an important issue because wolves do not come amongst the flock looking like wolves, do they? (laughs) Not if they're smart wolves. And I understand wolves are smart. They come amongst the flock looking like sheep. That's right. And so what it's saying with false false teaching often sounds very plausible. It comes uh, from people who are often very intelligent and uh, often very... Good at relating to people and sometimes that they have um, uh, credentials uh, they could be a minister they could have you know before their name reverend or right reverend or very reverend or most reverend or or cardinal right? but what Paul wants is for people to be so mature that they're not deceived by fine sounding arguments that they can they can look at what looks like a sheep and say, actually, I think that's a wolf. That's what he wants. And that's what his goal is. And friends, that is the role of every pastor, to do that, to feed the sheep, protect the sheep, but also to teach the sheep so that the sheep can protect themselves. That's the important role for a pastor. Now, the good news is that it wasn't too late for the Christians Colossae to hear about this Uh, it appears that the uh, the false teachers as I say they'd been on the horizon they'd made certain inroads into the church but have a look at how Paul describes the church in chapter 2 verse 5 chapter 2 verse 5 he says for though I am absent from you in body I am present with you in spirit and I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. That's good news, isn't it? Uh, It seems that the, um, uh, although the false teachers had made some inroads, that essentially this church is still very stable. It's very stable. And it's an interesting description of the kind of church that Paul delights in. Did you notice the description? He he says he delights in how firm their faith in Christ is. And when I looked at this passage, I thought, yeah, that's the key issue there. But I totally missed what else he said. He said, how orderly you are. You see that? How orderly you are. I wonder what he means by that. Uh, it seems to me that uh, he's saying you're not erratic Uh, you're not the kind of church that just kind of flows with every wind of doctrine and moves with every fresh thing that blows in and blows out of town that you're actually quite orderly and you're very well firmly established with your faith in Christ and uh, he rejoices in that so I think this is actually quite relevant for, um, for our church and uh, for every church of every age. I was thinking about this yesterday. I've, I've been in this church now for about 14 years. I think it might be coming up to the 15th anniversary uh, uh, later on this year. Some of you have been around a lot longer than that. Uh, where's Don today? Is away. But we've got Vary and Val. How long have you guys been in the church for? Since you were 44 years? Yeah, okay. And you've, you, you, see, you see things happening in a church over a period of time, don't you? Uh, in the 14 years I've been here, I've on occasions heard it said by others that this church does not have the full experience of God. Um, on one occasion, uh, one of our church members uh, was, was deceived by people who told her that her faith in Christ was not enough and that she needed to leave our church and, of course, join their church. Because at their church, she would be taught about various rules and regulations which would make her fully obedient to God and give her a full relationship with God. Uh, rules and regulations that prohibited her from eating certain foods. Rules and regulations which prohibited her from attending church services on Sundays uh, and the like. Um, now, by the time I heard about it, I was actually too late. I spent time talking with her, but. The uh, false teachers <clears throat> had been meeting with her in her house every week for a period of time, and they built relationship and they had persuaded her that she needed laws, uh, the gospel plus laws, and uh, she was lost to us. Uh, on another occasion, I was talking to a pastor, a local pastor who told, us that, told me that uh, this church uh, does not have the full experience of God because... Uh, we don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, he you said, well, you've got Christ, but you don't have the full blessing of God's Spirit. Now, I thought to myself, well, actually, because you know, we were dead in our sins and we needed to be... The only, pe- per- only person who could bring us back to life would be the Holy Spirit of God, and we've put our faith in Christ. How can you have faith in Christ without the Holy Spirit? Uh, but you see, what he was saying was that, no, you need Christ, but plus you need certain mystical experiences uh, that uh, were on offer. And so it's something which is relevant for churches today. It's relevant for our church as well. And, uh, but I have to say that Paul, what Paul delighted in was the church which was orderly, which was not erratic, and which had its faith firmly uh, planted in Christ. And he delights in a church that doesn't run off with every new doctrine or every fresh experience that that blows through town. And the reason for that is that such churches are no easy target for uh, for false teachers uh, because their faith in Christ is firm. And so it's my prayer that we would continue to be a church that continues in the struggle, uh, continues to struggle to, uh, to be discerning, continues to struggle to make sure that we've got our faith firmly planted in the gospel, that we realise that the mystery has been revealed already and we've got it, and we don't move off into other, uh, other uh, uh, you know, gospel plus something else. My other concern for the church though is that we would have the same passion as Paul who was a guy who was prepared to lay his own body on the line, was prepared to suffer uh, physically and be deprived of luxuries and so on, not in order to get right with God but in order to help other people to get right with God. And uh, that's the kind of church, that's the kind of Christians that we need to be. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for uh, uh, for Christ and we thank you that uh, in him the mystery has been revealed and we thank you that in him we have all the full riches of complete knowledge, uh, of understanding. Uh, Father, we thank you that his suffering on the cross is not deficient, that there is nothing more that needs to be added uh, in order for us to have a complete and total relationship with yourself. Father we pray that uh, we would be people who rejoice in that and we pray that we would keep on growing in that relationship. We pray that we would also be discerning and uh, not looking for uh, new mystical experiences or rules and regulations that would in time mean that we'd be putting our faith in those things. We pray that we would encourage each other to be stable, to be orderly, to be firmly uh, uh, with our faith in Christ and his gospel. And we pray, Father God, that we would be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.